Well, this morning we're going to wrap up our series in Job, and I'm so bummed because it's one of my favorite stories by far in the entire, in the entire Bible. Um, have you guys been enjoying this series at all? Okay, a little bit. Um, this story is about a real man who lived a real life. He was as real as me and you are here today and uh, had real problems and turn to a real God to help him through. Now, let me give you just fair warning this morning, okay? I know AJ covered like 20 chapters last week, and he was so proud of himself, and I can't do it like he can. I already know that. But uh, this morning, we're going to cover four chapters, which I know is nothing compared to AJ, but uh, we're going to cover four chapters, and we're just going to, just because of time, we have to skim across the surface. And it's so rich. These four chapters, the end of Job, are so rich and full of such good like wonderful stuff, and um, and so and I, are, I already know it's I'm not going to do it justice. So uh, feel free to go home, you know, today and start, you know, read through it on your own. Nothing wrong with that, right? We should be doing that anyway instead of just uh, hanging around and waiting for church for me to talk about it on Sunday morning. But uh, fair warning, I'm going to read a lot of Bible today. More Bible than I've ever read in any other message in my entire life. That's not even an exaggeration. And, um, and so be ready for that. And it's going to be long and it's going to get a little weird. Okay? You guys in? Yeah. All right. We're going to wrap this thing up. Um, I think one of the reasons why I love Job so much, and I've said this to you guys before, is that I feel like we can relate to Job so much. Not that necessarily we're going to go through the same things that Job went through, okay? None of us, I'm assuming, will ever have to do anything like that. But in a sense, we've all been there. We've been in a place where something bad has happened in in our life, where we've experienced some pain, hurt, or suffering in our life, and, and we don't know what to do, we don't know what to say, we don't know what to think. And probably every single one of us in this room, at some point in our life, we've wondered why. Why is this happening to me? Why is this happening to them? Why does this have to happen right now? We, we, you know, we wonder why. And that's a legit question. I don't think there's anything wrong with asking God why. Now, what is wrong is demanding an answer from God which we find out that Job kind of starts doing. And that's where we are in the story of Job, right? Job, he's laying among the ashes, which is the city dump. He's laying among the ashes, and he's lost everything, right? He's lost his, his wealth. He's lost everything that he owned. He lost his, his kids. He went from, with the wealth, he went from the richest person in the land to dirt poor. His three, three daughters and seven sons, they're gone, Not only has he lost his kids, but he's lost his health. He's got these boils all over his body. The Bible says from the crown of his head to the bottom of his feet, they're in his mouth. They have, they're just, they're all over it. They hurt so bad. He's in so much pain and agony that he grabs a piece of pottery from the city dump and he's scraping these things off of his body. He's just in so much pain. See, nobody knew suffering better than Job. His wife comes to see him. She tells him just to curse God and die. She's like, it's better for you to be dead. Curse God and maybe God will kill you. And and that will be better than than just laying here in agony. And then his friends come, remember? And they start off really well. They spend a whole week. They're just there for him. They're just, hang, they're just spending time with him. They don't know what to say. They actually, when they, when they found him, when they saw him, they didn't even recognize him because his body had changed so much from these, from these boils. And so, and so they just sit there with him, just there for him. But then after about a week, like what AJ talked about last week, they start opening up their mouths. 
And they start giving Job advice. They're telling Job what they think, which is something we so often do. And they wear him down to where Job finally breaks. And when Job breaks, he, he cries out to God and he's demanding an answer from God. And he's asking the question, why? Right? He's like, why, God? Why would you allow this? I have been nothing but good. I, have, I am a righteous man. I do everything that, I, that you know, I try to do. I'm not perfect, but I try to do as much good as I possibly can. You know, Job's, from Job's perspective, he's like, hey, if we're such good friends, God, why don't you come down here? And why don't you, why don't you come down here so I can prove to you my innocence? Actually, he takes it even a step further. He's like, hey, God, you know what? This all that you're doing to me or all that you're allowing in my life isn't fair to me. And if I could, God, I know this is impossible, but if I could, I could, I would take you to court. I wish I could take you to court because I think I'd win because this isn't right. And his whole, like, his whole, basically his whole thing, his whole mindset is this is not fair, which is completely a human perspective. And, and if we're looking at a human perspective, right, he, he's kind of right. I see he's got the wrong mindset at this point, right? which is what we're going to be looking at today, the, the correct mindset, the correct perspective that we need to have when we're going through um, tough times in our life. See, what, what was Job, Job known for? Remember? He's known for being rich, the richest man. He was known for being a good dad. He was known for uh, being a good leader among the community, things that we all want to be and things that are all good, you know. Um, but, uh, but even more than that, way more than that, he was known for being a righteous man, right? He was known for his relationship with God. And he wasn't just known among the, his community for being a, a righteous man. He was known in heaven for being a righteous man because remember, that's how all this got started. Satan, he goes up to heaven and he presents himself before God and, uh, and, and God, tur- you know, God turns to Satan. He's like, hey, have you noticed Job? Right, have you seen my man, Job? And Satan's like, are you kidding me, God? He only worships you because of all the stuff you've given him. He only worships you because you've given him good health. You've given him a good life. If you took that away, he would definitely curse you to your face. And that's how all this started, where God says, okay, go ahead and test him. But you can't kill him. And at this point, Job has lost everything and and he's one of those he's a guy who's who's really righteous he's a good guy so good that God points him out to Satan right just kind of crazy to think about from the human perspective it doesn't make any sense this all doesn't seem fair where Job he's now lying in agony and he's in sorrow and he's crying out and he's crying out to God that this isn't fair and this isn't right all right, and I think part of that perspective that, that we as humans have, which isn't right, is that we feel like we deserve good 100% of the time, right, don't we? All right, we feel like we deserve good 100% of the time. I remember a few, um, a while ago, I was canceling my DirecTV service because college football was done for the season. I didn't need it anymore. And, uh, and you know how it is when you're trying to cancel something? You can't, like it takes forever, like, things like they, it's like, oh, well, we could do this for you. We could give you this package. Or, hey, I'll, I'll knock this off or I'll do this. And it's just like, dude, just press the cancel button. I don't know what it is. You know, it's just like, cancel it. Um, but I remember this guy who I'm on the other, you know, he's on the other side of the phone. He's trying to get me to not cancel. He's giving me all these, like, promotions and, and you know, all this stuff. And he's just like, I remember one thing that just sticks out to me. He was like, he, first of all, he called me Zach, which was kind of annoying. All right, so, you know, he... Probably wasn't anywhere close, but he's like, you deserve this, Zach. And he kept saying that over 
and over and over again. He's like, you deserve this. I'm like, I deserve to pay $100 a month for a direct TV. No, you know, I, don't, I hope not. <laughs> but, uh, but that's what the world tells us, right? Our world's constantly telling us, they're saying, hey, you deserve good 100% of the time. And then that's how we think. We, we, we get that in our minds. We're like, yeah, 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 you're right. I do deserve good. I, I, I deserve this. I deserve good things to happen in my life. I deserve for my life to be all good. And then when something happens in our life, we get upset with God about it. That's where Job is at. He's sitting there at the city dump in agony, demanding an answer. He's not questioning God's existence. He's not questioning God's goodness. Things that a lot of times when we go through hard times in our life, we question, we point out, we're like, whoa, I don't know if God's there. Or, oh, I don't know if God's actually good. Why would he allow this? What Job's questioning is God's fairness. No, there's no way God's actually gonna show up and talk to him, right? It's not like God's gonna show up. It's not like he's gonna hear an audible voice from God. And then Job chapter 38, verse 1, it says, Then the Lord answered Job. Not a good thing, all right? Picture it. The Bible actually gives us a picture of this. He's saying, you know, he's sitting there. The Bible says this huge, like, whirlwind storm comes up. Like, can you picture this in your mind? He's there. He's scraping himself. He's in pain. His friends are sitting there. They have worn him down. His wife has already told him to die. He's lost his kids, man. He's lost all his wealth. He's got nothing. All right, he doesn't know when he's, he just wants to die at this point. He doesn't know why this is happening. And he's questioning God. He's calling out to God saying, why? Answer me, God. Why? And then out of nowhere, this, like, whirlwind tornado twister thing just appears in front of him. And it starts talking to him. It's one of the coolest parts in the entire Bible where God talks to Job. And basically, Job, he's saying these things. He's not really experiencing God to come, all right? Because he's a normal guy like me or you. We wouldn't experience God to come. But as we will see, God does come. And God comes because he cares, because God really did love Job. So uh, verse one, he says, then the Lord answered Job from a whirlwind. At this point, Job probably peed his pants, all right? He's sitting there, he's like, ah, you know. It says, he said, who is this who obscures my counsel with ignorant words? He says, get ready, all right? The, the words get ready here, actually some translations say, gird up your loins like a man. I don't know what that means, but that scares me. You know what I mean? Gird up your loins like a man. Basically, it's uh, in the ancient Hebrew, this is like a, uh, a term that's like used for wrestling. Basically, back then, men, they would wear robes. Glad we moved past that because I'm not, uh, I don't wear robes, okay? But that's what they did. And, um, and what they would do is when they would get ready to literally fight each other, all right, they would tuck their robes in to their belt, which at that point made them look like they were wearing skirts, I would think. Um, but they would tuck their, their robes into their belt so that they could move around, so that they could fight. That's how they, they fought each other. It was like a wrestling match. That's what the connotation here with God is. He's like, get ready, Job. Tuck in your robe, Job. We're going to go. He says, get ready to answer me like a man. Because when I question, he says, when I question you, you will inform me. Notice what, notice what God does here. He reverses their roles. Right, see, we've seen chapter after chapter where God, he's crying out to God, and he's saying, God, answer me. God, I have a question. You need to answer me. But God comes down, and he's like, no, no, Job, you better get ready. You better stand up out of that dirt. You better face me like a man. He, you know, tuck in your robe, Job. And he's like, actually, I'm the one who's going to be asking the questions. 
And you, Job, you are gonna answer me. That's what's gonna happen here. It's interesting that what we're gonna see is God takes Job's challenge of him, but God doesn't explain himself to Job. All right, he doesn't answer Job's questions. All right, you know, suffering, when we're suffering, when we got these, these problems in our lives, like we have just a lot of unanswered questions, right? I mean, a lot of us, we're just like, well, I don't get this. All right, why this? Why is that happening? Or, you know, why is this happening to this person? Or why, why now? You know, we have the whole center of the book of, of Job, which AJ talked about last week, where it's chapter after chapter where these friends, they're arguing with each other about the problem of pain and suffering and arguing with each other about the question, why? They feel like they have an answer to that question, why? But when God shows up, he doesn't answer the hard questions. He doesn't explain himself. He reveals himself which is so much better. And what, jo- what, what God is doing is he is going to correct Job's mindset. And this is what I feel like we could take away from, from this this morning. He's gonna correct Job's mindset, hopefully our mindset as well. He's gonna correct his perspective. And it, he, what we're gonna realize is that, number one, God's in control. And number two, God cares. And that's what God is gonna tell Job. But actually, God begins uh, doing this, begins correcting this in Job's mind and by asking Job a question. Actually, he ends up asking Job 77 consecutive questions, all right, that uh, Job cannot answer that are really demonstrating his power and his brilliance and his caring. Basically, here's God, throughout the, what we're gonna be looking at this morning, here's God saying, hey, this is who I am. This is who you are. Let's, let's talk about, let's stop talking about you. Let's talk about me for a minute instead of talking about you and you're whining and complaining about why you don't think your life is exactly fair. All right? Next verse. He says, here's the first question. He says, where were you when I established the earth? Right? Tell me if you have understanding. Who fixes dimensions? Certainly you know this. See, here's God. He's, he's being kind of sarcastic here, which isn't how we view God. All right? we, we view God as the old man sitting, up, sitting upstairs who doesn't really have a personality, all right, which we're going to learn today is exactly not true, right? Because God does have a, he's extremely creative and he has a personality. But his first question to Job, to Job is impossible to answer. He's like, oh, I, I got a question for you, Job. Um, I'm going to ask the questions. You just, you're going to answer me. Um, I'll, get, I'll start off with an easy one, a little bunt. You know, he's like, uh, where were you when I created the earth, <laughs> right? Were you there? I can't remember, Job. Uh, were, were, were you there when I, when I was there? And he's like, oh yeah, you didn't exist. And then God describes it. He says, uh, next verse. He says, what supports this foundation? Or who laid its cornerstone while the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? He's saying, this is how I did it. He said, I started building this thing called the earth. And here we have the words morning stars and sons of God. Those are other words for for angels. And he's just like, were you there when I created the earth and the angels were shouting for joy because they'd never seen anything like that before? A few years ago, well, in 2016... Uh, the Cavs won. You remember the Cavs won the, won the championship? I went to Cleveland to watch game seven. 
uh, because I wanted to be, you know, I want to be a part of it. Cleveland never wins a championship, so if they're about to, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm there. So I went there, game seven. Cleveland hadn't won for like over 50 years, I believe. And um, if you remember, which probably very few of you do, for like the last four minutes of the game, the first three of the last four minutes, there was like no scoring. Right, it was just tied. I think it was 89-89. And then the last minute, there, we made a, a Kyrie, I think he, he made a three-pointer. And, uh, and the whole, like all of Cleveland, there's probably at least $100,000, there's probably 100,000 people down there. There's people hanging off buildings. All right, there, there's like parking garages full of people. They got all these screens up where everybody's watching outside. The whole, the whole arena's filled with people. I mean, there are, there are just tens of thousands of people down there everywhere. All the streets are filled up with these people watching the game. And when that three shot, when that three pointer was made, I mean, the place erupted. And I remember standing there and, and watching the time go down to zero because it was like, you know, anything could have happened until the last few seconds. I watched the, the clock go down to zero and people just went nuts. People went crazy because they had never seen that before, right? Or probably, let's say, 95, 99% of the people that were down there. I'd never seen a championship in Cleveland before. They were so pumped. They couldn't contain their excitement. They couldn't contain their joy. It's almost like riding. Actually, people were like breaking stuff and stuff, but the cops, nobody cared because everybody was just happy. Now we riot and we're all mad, but back then it was like rioting, yeah, throw a break, who cares? We won, you know. But they couldn't contain it. That's how God is describing creation. He's like, Job, were you there when I, when I started forming the earth and I was like forming it and the angels, they're watching because they're watching what I'm doing. And he's like, then I just like made a rock and the angel's like, what is that? I've never seen that before. God's like, that's just a rock. I got way more, I got way bigger planes than that. They're like, wow, that's a rock. You know, that, that's crazy. They're just going crazy. They're just, they, they cannot contain. As they watch God build or form or create the earth. Here's another question. Verse 8, next verse. He says, who enclosed the sea behind its doors when it burst forth, or when it burst from the womb, when I made the clouds its garment and total darkness, darkness its blanket. Remember, there was no light yet. He says, when I determine its boundaries and put its bars and doors in place. He says, when I declared, hey, you may come this far, but no further. Your proud waves stop here. Have you ever in your life commanded the morning or assigned the dawn its place? He's like, hey, did you place the ocean where you wanted it? Was that you or was that me? I'm in trouble remembering, Job. Or, or, hey, Job, did you, do you command the sun to come up every morning? Do you command the sun to go down every morning? Is that you or is that me? I'm a little confused. Then he starts peppering Job with all of these questions. He says, have you walked in the deep of the ocean? Like in the deepest parts of the ocean. Have you, have you walked down there? Because I have. In verse 18, he says, have you understood the expanse of the earth? Like, can you, can you fathom how big the earth is? Like, tell me if you know this. He says, do you know where I keep light? Uh, Job, I, I think I forgot where I keep it. Do you, do you know where I just keep light? Can you remind me? Or who commands every lightning bolt? Is that you or is that me, Job? Or who decides where it rains? Or who decides where it doesn't rain? Or who takes care of the desert? No man takes care of the desert. So who takes care of it? He says, who makes seeds sprout? Or who do you think invented frost? Like, who was the first one to, like, think of this thing called ice? Who thought of that? Did you create that? Did you, did you come up with that? Or is that, or is that me? Then he gets broader. He's like, can, you, can, Job, can you control the constellations? Do you have the power to control the stars and the galaxies? 
Job, can you tell me where heaven is? I think I may have forgotten. Could you give me directions real quick? Where, where was heaven again? Right, in verse 35, he says, can you send out lightning bolts? And they go, do they report to you and say, hey, here we are. Does, like, does lightning report to you, Job, or is that me? Do you control the lightning? Next, next slide. He says, can you hunt prey for a lioness or satisfy the appetite of young lions when they crouch in their dens and they lie in wait within their lairs? Do you take care of the lions, Job? See, it's interesting. I think God, what he's doing, he's pointing out like some of the, you know, most magnificent, let's say, I don't know, a better word for that, but animals, right? Like most, some of the most powerful uh, animals. He's, he's going to start talking about some animals here and there. And um, actually, yeah, we got that here and there. And I was looking up lions this week because, you know, I feel like I know a lot about lions, but there's always some more stuff you can learn. I didn't realize how big lions were. They can weigh up to 530 pounds. It's a big animal, okay? Not an animal, and it's got teeth, so it's not an animal you want to, like, run into when you're, like, out in safari or whatever, all right? A lion's roar can be heard up to five miles away. Isn't that crazy? All right? Five miles. If a lion were to just lick your skin, it would draw blood. It's a nasty animal, all right? It's a, it's a beefy animal. And so God's, he's like, hey, do you take care of the lions? Do you feed them, or is that me? Do you even have the ability to do that, Job? Then, God, this is one of my favorite, God talks about the ostrich, right? Think about this, like, picture an ostrich in your mind right now. You guys got one? You guys know what that is, right? Everybody, yeah. All right. Super weird animal, right? Long, skinny legs, all right? Kind of like a ball of feathers for a body. And then a snake neck, you know, and a little head. And it's just weird. It's a weird animal, and God, he describes the ostrich. He says, the wings of the ostrich, he says, flap joyfully, but are her feathers and plumage like the storks? Basically, what God's saying is, he's saying, hey, you know, ostrich is a bird, and ostrich has feathers, but can it fly like a stork? Do, like, the feathers do anything? No. He says, she abandons her eggs on the ground, and he lets them, and she lets them be warmed in the sand. She forgets that a foot may crush them, or that, I don't know, some wild animal may trample them. She treats her young harshly as if they were not her own and with no fear that her labor may have been in vain. She doesn't care if they die. She says, for God has deprived her of wisdom and he has not endowed her with understanding. But when she proudly spreads her wings, he says she laughs at the horse and its rider. Looked up the ostrich too, all right? Ostrich, it's like the second fastest land animal. Actually, it can, uh, like, it can go up to bursts of speeds of like 60 miles per hour, right? It's only got two legs too, so it's kind of crazy. Uh, 60 miles per hour, and uh, that's almost as fast as a cheetah, okay? A cheetah's just edged it out just a little bit. Uh, it could go 45 miles per hour for like half an hour. Just do, 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 you know, however that is. Um, uh, you know, it, the, thing can, the thing can run. The ostrich legs are so strong that you know that lion I was talking about? Ostrich can kick that lion with one kick and kill it. That's an ostrich. Also not an animal you really want to mess with. Um, a few years ago, I, um, at our Fremont campus, we were having a beast feast. And so one thing we wanted to do was um, cook up an ostrich, right? It's like a big chicken, right? And uh, 
And we actually have a guy in our church that used to raise ostriches, so he knew how to do it. So I went down to an exotic animal auction, which I've been to a couple times before, and um, got some animals for the beast beast. And, um, and so it's like down in like Amish country, south of Worcester. And I go down there, and I, I, I get an ostrich, and I get some other animals. And what you do is they give you this ticket with the, like the list of animals and where they're at, because it's like you know, all these barns and, and that are all kind of connected together. And so you got to go, you know, there's like thousands of animals there. So you got to figure it all out. And, uh, but I, I gave it to this guy who like kind of helps everybody, um, helps all the animals get loaded into trailers. And he's like looking over, he's like, okay, okay, okay. And the fourth animal was an ostrich. And he was like, oh, an ostrich. And I was like, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. He was like, okay. He didn't want to mess with it. And so he went and he sent somebody to go get it. He was like, you guys go get, go get the ostrich and we'll, you, know, go, you guys go get the other stuff. And so we get all the animals in there and then the last thing is the ostrich. And so I'm just waiting there, you know, nothing's happening. I don't know where this ostrich is. And, and all of a sudden I hear somebody say, look out! And I look and the, it's like this long shoot that's like the size of, like the length of like two or three barns, super long. Um, I see turning the corner is this ostrich just running like full sprint. It probably wasn't running full sprint because it wasn't going no 60. But, uh, but you know, it's just, it's just trucking. And this, like, lane is filled with, like, kids, dogs, people. There's Amish people all over the place. There are, you know, guys are just talking. Look out. And this thing, do, 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 do. And people are, like, diving. It was crazy. People are, like, scampering up the fence. People are diving in between boards. The, the, I don't know what even happens to the dog, um, but it's gone. I mean, the, it's just funny. Everybody just scatters. It's the only animal that I've ever seen an Amish person run from, okay? There's, like, steers coming down. They don't care, you know, all that kind of stuff. But this ostrich, everybody's like, ah, they look out. You know, it's just funny. God's saying it's just a weird, weird animal. And it's powerful. Not something you want to mess with. And God, what he's saying, he's pointing out the ostrich. He's like, hey, 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 Joe, look at the ostrich. You've seen the ostrich? He's like, have you noticed? He's like, the ostrich is dumb. That's a dumb animal. He's like, doesn't take care of his babies. Doesn't care if someone tramples, you know, if some animal eats their eggs or tramples their eggs. Doesn't know anything like that. Doesn't even recognize it's young. He's like, what a dumb animal. And so for us, I think a lot of times we look at that, we're like, yeah, that ostrich is dumb. And so we're like, man, God must have made a mistake. But God's not saying that. He's like, no, 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 that's how I made it. Because I'm creative. The ostrich is exactly how I want the ostrich to be. And he's like, but, and I know the ostrich is dumb, but he's like, Joe, have you seen it run? Have you watched the thing run? Man, it laughs at the horse and its rider as it passes by. God's saying, I did that. See, God talks about the strength of these animals, but he also cares about them. In, in verse 41, he says, Who provides the ravens food when its young cry out to God and wander about for lack of food? All right, next verse. He says, Do you know when the mountain boats, goats give birth? Have you watched the deer in labor? Can you count the months that they are pregnant so that you can know the time that they give birth? He says they crouch down to give birth to the young. They deliver their newborns and their offspring are healthy and they grow up in the open field and they leave and they don't return. He's got saying, hey, do you feed the baby birds? Is that you? Do you take care of them or is that, is, is that me? Do you watch like the mountain goats and the deer? Do you watch them give birth? Do you watch their young? Do you watch their young grow up? Because I do. 
because I care. In the middle of all of this, it's kind of funny, Job squeaks out a little answer, all right? In, in Job chapter 40, verse, um, verse 4, that's what Job says. He says, I'm so insignificant, <laughs> right? And basically, this word means tiny. He's like, I'm so tiny. I'm a speck. How can I answer you? He's like, I can't answer any of these questions. These are all so far above me. He says, so I place my hand over my mouth. He's like, I can't do anything. I, I realize, God, I get it. I am nothing compared to you. I'm nothing. I'm tiny. I'm a speck. But God's not done with Job. For the next, you know, for the next couple chapters, God, he describes two ancient animals that we don't seem to have around today. Here's where we get a little bit weird. Um, in Job 40, chapter 6, he says, then the Lord answered Job from the world, and he's not done. He's like, whoa, 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 you're the one who's, who's questioning me. I say when I'm done. He says, get ready to answer me like a man, Job. When I question you, you will inform me. He's making sure that they know their place. He knows his place. He says, would you really challenge my justice? Remember when you were doing that? Would you declare me guilty just to justify yourself? Next verse. He says, look at behemoth, which I made along with you. He says, he eats grass like cattle. Look at the strength of his back and the power in the muscles of his belly. He says, he stiffens his tail like a cedar tree and the tendons of his thighs are woven firmly together. His bones are bronze tubes. His limbs are like iron rods. He says, he is the foremost of God's works. Only his maker can draw the sword against him. Right? What God's doing here is he's describing this ancient animal. Um, remember, Job is like the oldest book in the Bible. This probably takes place about 4,000 4, years ago. But he describes this animal, and he, and he lists some of these off. He's like, he's like, it eats plants, it's powerful, it's strong, uh, his bones are like iron rods, no man can kill this animal. Um, it's got a tail like a giant cedar tree. Uh, la later on, which we didn't read, he says, it's unafraid of flooded rivers, it hangs out in the marsh, it's something that a man can't capture. And so a lot of scholars from a naturalistic worldview, um, they would say, well, okay, so what's God describing here? He must be describing either an elephant or a hippo. And they match some of the descriptions, right? Eat plants, check. Powerful and strong, check. Bones like iron rods, sure, check. Hangs out in the marsh, especially a hippo. Yeah, we, we get that, check. But there's some things that, those, that this animal doesn't check off, or that elephants and hippos don't check off, and that's no man can kill it. Well, we know for thousands of years, man have killed both of those. Um, no man can capture. We know, especially with elephants, man has worked with elephants throughout thousands of years of culture. And, and then the last one is the tail like a cedar tree. I've looked at this past week. I've looked at a lot of elephant and hippo tails, all right, which is a weird thing to say. But uh, compared to their body, it's embarrassing. It's like a little, you know, a little flappy thing. It's like, that's no cedar tree, Right? It's like weak tails. It's, it's just weak. That's what it is. It's embarrassing. But ironically, what we know from archaeology is that we have dug up animals or fossils of animals, of ancient animals, that uh, perfectly match this description. And so many biblical scholars would say, actually, what God is describing here is something like this, possibly, right? Actually, I just wanted to find a way to get some Jurassic Park in here on a Sunday morning. But, uh, but think about it, all right? The way God describes this animal, he's like, first of all, foremost of everything I've ever made. This is the biggest animal I've ever made. 
He says, it's got, it's got a tail like a cedar tree. It's got, you know, bones like iron rods. It eats plants. Hangs out in the river, which we also know from science that they did that. But he's like, this is something that you can't kill. No man can kill it. No, no man can capture it, can turn it into its pet. It just can't happen. And so a lot of you guys, or, you know, a lot of people, they would go, whoa, 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 what are you saying here? Are you saying that, you know, this is getting, this is getting kind of weird? Are you saying that, that you know, Joe, that God's talking about a, a dinosaur? I'm saying maybe. I think it could easily be. Well, that doesn't fit science. See, that statement's not a true statement, all right? It's just, it's not how science works. Science is taking evidence that we can see and making interpretations about it. And I think there's a lot of evidence for stuff like this, and, and this isn't really what I get into, but I just want to throw some darts into your old, worth, old earth, old world, old earth view or whatever. Um, and, and that is that science, first of all, just a couple things. Science, first of all, completely ignores anthropology, which is, I don't understand that, right? Which is the study of man, right? We know from history that there are cultures all over the world they were on different continents that were not connected with each other on every inhabitable continent, actually. Um, we know that, that there's people groups who talked about large reptiles that roam the earth, right? They were there. Um, we see, you know, you could go in, even in our country, in North America, you see, you could go to caves that Native Americans had where they drew these things. They're there. Right? You could go, you know, you could go to, to Africa and Asia where they carved these things. Right? And, and they carve these animals, which we don't have today, and then we go and we dig these things up, and we're like, that's what they are. At least that's what they look like. Even ancient historians and philosophers like Aristotle and Marco Polo talked about large reptiles that roam the earth. Right? There, as late as the 1500s, there was scientists writing in, um, in textbooks that they were, they were writing about animals described large reptiles that, that roamed the earth, although what they said in the 1500s, this is only 500 years ago, they said, they said, yeah, these large reptiles, they're not extinct, but they're extremely rare, and they're a lot smaller than they used to be. All right, there's just story after story after story, and then science specifically, right, now they're finding a bunch of fossils that have soft tissue in them, which causes a bunch of issues with, with dating and all that kind of stuff that people are trying to figure out. And that's really not the point of my message. My point is this, is that God is describing this powerful animal. What God's basically saying to Job, he's like, hey, Job, you're not even top dog on earth when it comes to strength and power. You're not even there. And you're challenging me? God also describes this animal called the Leviathan, um, which was a giant sea creature that had scales, which ironically, from archaeology, we have, we have found these things or knows, knew, know that these things actually existed in the past. We just, people differ on different what time that was. But it's funny because God, when he's talking about this thing, he's like, hey, Job, if you touch it, you're going to remember your lesson. You're never going to try to touch it again. He says, this is an animal that you can't put a leash on and give it to your girls and say, hey, here you go, have a pet. You can't treat it like a pony. All right, this is what God says. He says, no man is brave or strong enough to stand against the Leviathan. And he's like, and Job, that's my creation. I created that thing. That's just an animal. And you're questioning me? You can't stand up against all, your, all these animals, but you are standing, you, you know, can stand against me? You're viewing me and you as, as equals? You're questioning me? 
See, God's message to Job is, Job, I get that you don't understand why you're going through the things that you're going through. You know, God's like, I I get that you don't understand the situation up in heaven. I get that you weren't there for the conversation between me and Satan, which, by the way, I stood up for you. I get that you don't know about that. I get that you cannot see past the pain and suffering in your life right now. I know that you miss your kids. I know that you miss your servants. I know that you just wish life could go back to the way it was just a few weeks ago. And I, and I know that you want to know why. And I know that you don't understand. But God's point is this is what we've got to remember is, but Job, you don't understand a lot of things. And the only thing you need to understand is that I'm God and I have everything in control and I care. I mean, look at all that God has under his control. Look Look at all that God cares for. He's saying, Job, I have your life under control too and I care for your life as well. The thing we got to remember is that God has our lives under control too. And he cares about our lives as well. Actually, remember what Jesus said? Um, and Jesus was talking about worrying and stuff like that. And he's like, trouble, trouble's going to come. And um, he says, you know, God cares so much. I mean, he, he knows every time a sparrow dies. And Jesus asked the question, he's like, aren't you so much, like he cares about them. He cares about the, the worthless sparrow. He's like, aren't you so, worth so much more than them? Don't you realize that God cares so much more for you than an animal? He's got our lives under control, and he cares about us. And then Job answers God because Job gets it. He says this. He says, surely I spoke about things I did not understand, things too wondrous for me to know. Let's go to the next verse. He says, I heard reports about you, God. He's like, I heard of you, but now my eyes have actually seen you. Therefore, I reject my words and I'm sorry for them because I am dust and ashes. Basically, what Job's saying, he's saying, hey, I'm nothing but dirt. I don't know what I was thinking, questioning you. See, the story, it really gives us a different perspective of of life. It gives us, actually, it kind of gives us God's perspective it's not that when, when something hard happens, you know, when some tough time happens in our life, it's not that we won't ask why, right? We do that. I don't think it's wrong to ask the question why. But I guess I'm saying this. Don't get mad at God because he chooses not to answer you the way that you want him to. See, God is so far above us that we are literally nothing. That's what Job got here. He's like, you know, we are nothing. We are just specks. We are tiny, like Job said. We are, we are dust and ashes. We're dirt compared to God. But for some reason, God still cares about us. I mean, he cared 2,000 years. He cared enough that 2,000 years ago, he came down to earth born in the dirt, all right, in a barn, and he died for us, for you. For me. He cares for us. And that's what Job finally understood. You know, he was struggling with that. But he finally got it. God puts him back in his place. And after Job, after that happens, it's interesting. The the way the story ends is that God blesses Job. He actually gives him double his wealth. And he gave him seven more sons and three more daughters. And he gave him a long, long, long life. 
But through all of it, we have no indication that God ever told Job about the situation up in heaven. Is that weird? It's not what we'd think. Usually, we, you know, we'd be like, well, if, you know, I don't understand why, why, you know, Job, he's asking why. Like, why didn't God just come down and say, okay, I got some good reasons why. Actually, Satan was attacking you. He was attacking your character. And I, and I knew that you could stand up to, and, and, you know, I knew you could stand up to the, to the test. And, and I knew this would be good. And, and, and he doesn't tell him that. God doesn't, go to say, God doesn't go to Job and say, hey, Job, by the way, I'm going to put this in this thing called the Bible. You've never even heard of that because it doesn't exist yet. But, but for the next 4,000 years, men and women are going to look at your last two weeks or three, we don't exactly know how long, just at least over a week. You're going to look at you know, the last few weeks of your life and it's going to help them get through tough times in their life. God doesn't go and say, hey, in 4,000 years from today, like, there's going to be this church in Tiffin, Ohio that's going to spend five weeks talking about the last two weeks of your life. He doesn't tell them that. He doesn't tell them about all the good that will come from this story. And I think that was because Job didn't need to know why. Just like I think a lot of times we don't need to know why. We think we do. We really like to. But I think from God's perspective is, you don't need to know why I'm doing what I'm doing. See, we need to have the mindset of God is in control and God cares. And because of that, we can go through anything. See, many times when something happens in our lives, some bad things, like we choose to go our own way, when life seems to spin out of control, Instead of running to God, what do we do? We run away from God. We start not trying to control things because we feel like we care about our lives more than God does, which isn't true. But when the storm comes and life just gets messy because this is what's going to happen to every single one of us, when you have the worst day of your life to come and you don't know what to do, you don't know what to think, you don't know what to say, and you don't understand why. You need to put on the mindset. You need, to, you need to focus on the perspective of, you know what? I don't need to know why. God doesn't always tell us why, but God knows why. And we can always rest in the fact that God is in control and he also cares. Let's pray. God, we, um, we thank you for the story. It's such a great story for, for every single one of us that we can look to when we're going through hard times, which you promise us in life. It's not if we have a, a rough day, it's when we have a rough day, when the disaster strikes. God, we, uh, we thank you for this. We ask that when that happens, Lord, that you would help us have the right mindset. You would help us have your perspective and not just our wimpy human perspective. God, help us to, to realize in those moments that A, you're in control, but B, you also care. And you care so much. And you've demonstrated that time and time and time again to us. And God, we thank you for that. Lord, we thank you for this church. We thank you for this story. We thank you for these people, our family here that you've given us we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.